You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Welcome back, everybody. We are back with our amazing call-in show. I don't know what we're calling it. This is making the intro awkward, but we are back doing our Saturday morning chats where we have live call-ins here on Twitter, Spaces, X Spaces, whatever you want to call it. My name is Jeremy Reisman. I'm the producer over at Pride of Detroit. With me, as always, co-hosting these. Maybe it's your first time, so you don't know who is always co-hosting these. But let's start first with the man, the machine, the managing editor of Pride of Detroit, at Eric Schlitt on Twitter. Eric Schlitt is here. How are we doing, buddy? Hey, buddy. You nailed that. Good job. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. I got the name right, I guess, even though we don't have one. <laughs> it's a it's a perfect intro because it's a it's a constantly changing title so yeah you, uh, you just gotta roll with it i think we just need to come up with like a basic one that will stay the same despite the fact that every platform we go on dies yep we'll take we'll suggestions. The, there you go exactly <laughs> uh our other co-host because this is a three-man show we got it for all the heavy lifting that we have to do here. He is the senior editor of Pride of Detroit. Some call him the rock god. He is also at Ryan underscore POD on Twitter. Ryan Matthews is here. Ryan. Hi, buddy. It's good to be back. These are fun, know, right? I, they're so much fun. It, it is the official marker for the offseason, though. You know what I mean? Like, I felt like, oh, I'm getting back on the call-in show, whatever its name is, with Eric and Jeremy. It's the offseason. It's it's really the only savior to the offseason, if you ask me. Oh, well, that's sweet <laughs> of you. <laughs> All right. Well, let's let's get into it. Let's uh, let's get into our first caller. Again, we are live here on Twitter Spaces. We usually do these Saturday mornings if you're listening on the podcast. This one started bright and early at 9 a.m. Eastern, so you got to get up early if you want to hang out. But let's start with our first caller, and that is going to be Michael B. Let's see if the technology works correctly michael how's it going buddy looks like you're muted at the moment okay i am on are you on there we go <laughs> how's it going michael all right well welcome back lions are victorious in the playoffs Woo-hoo. man <laughs> crazy and i know so i'm gonna ask two quick questions and i'll i'll pause my sure. quick question is First one is, is there any Lions player that's currently on the IR that you would sign? Second question is, would you sign, would you try to help out the Buffalo Bills in taking one of their players off that's left guard, center, Connor McGovern off their hands? All right. Let's uh, let's start with the first one. Let's start with the IR question. So um, this one's a little tricky, right, Eric? Because IR, IR players, if they're still signed through twenty twenty four, they're they're still on the team, right? So 
Uh, I'm trying to I'm trying to circle the guys that are on IR that that aren't necessarily coming back. So you've got Vitai. Do, do you have a list in front of you, Eric? I don't have a list in front of me. I, I've already converted it over. Um, okay, but I can tell you. I mean, if we go through them, like Sudfeld was on IR. Yeah. Um, Ibrahim was on IR, or Ibrahim was on IR. Um, uh, Glass. Uh, yeah. Like, Vitai, like you said, was on IR. Matt Nelson was on IR. And that's it of the UDFAs okay. or UFAs. Right. So of those guys, I think, I think we can all probably agree. Vitae is probably headed towards retirement since, I mean, once you say that word once last yeah. year and then, and then you have a ba- the same back issue next year, mm-hmm. I think it's time to move on for both parties. Yeah. I, I agree with you. Matt Nelson to me is an interesting one though, because mm-hmm. I think I think he got overshadowed by Dan Skipper really in the past couple of years, but Matt Nelson was also pretty good in that role not too long ago. Yeah, Matt Nelson was the sixth offensive lineman for several years, and he came out of camp as OT3. And then the injury is what opened the door for Skipper to essentially take over that um six offensive lineman role. Uh, he did a little, like you said, he did a little bit in uh, 22 and then uh, was able to take it over full time. Once Nelson got injured at this point though, both skipper and Nelson are uh, unrestricted free agents. So I think if they're looking to decide between the two of them, I'd have to give the edge to skipper because he, his season, his, you know, the, the the stuff that he's had to overcome, the the calls, like the controversial calls that he's been involved of, he's really, I think, integrated himself into the locker room a little bit more. Um, that being said, I don't think either one is necessarily enticing as OT3. <laughs> um, but if we're talking OT4 and uh, Skipper versus Nelson is, is uh, a conversation we'll definitely have over the offseason, um, I, I might lean towards Skipper on, on that one right now. Got any thoughts on those two, Ryan? Well, I think more so to the point that Eric was getting at about them being OT4. Um, just because I think it's a kind of a sneaky offseason need for the Lions to just kind of shore up their their offensive line, right? At, at a few spots. You know, they, they obviously have holes that they need to fill at guard, depending on what they do with Jonah Jackson and, and Graham. Um, but I, I think that there's room for that OT3 spot to not only improve, but also to maybe, um, you know, solidify itself moving forward, right? Like, you know, Taylor Decker isn't a young guy by any means when it comes to NFL standards. He's, you know, 30 years old and going to be turning 31. So I I think that there's room for at least the Lions to set themselves up. So I think that's kind of like a sneaky need moving moving into draft season. Yeah, and and if I'm not mistaken, Decker is on the final year of his contract, is going into the final year on his contract. Not that I think the Lions are going to move on or should move on, but, um, you know, you you do have to start thinking down the line at this point with the Lions, especially since there's not that many immediate needs that, you know, getting an offensive tackle. And and I know normally when you're drafting an offensive tackle, it's like an immediate start, right? You don't don't get a lot of offensive tackle starters in beyond day one or round two, right? Um, But you're like, if, if, you have a guy that you think is a developmental guy that can be maybe your OT three in the interim and, and can build towards starting level. Like, yeah, I think that is a, 
a potential day two pick, even though, like I said, those, those starting level offense tackles are pretty hard to find outside the first two rounds. Yeah, it could be a, an, uh, a situation where we see them targeting a player that has uh, tackle guard experience uh, that could maybe play guard for his first couple of seasons or at least a season and, um, you know, gain some experience, but then also have that tackle, tackle flexibility. That's typically a trend that you see amongst the reserves Vitae, Skipper, Nelson, all, ha- uh, even Schofield on the practice squad all had that tackle guard experience. And so it's, I, I do agree that it's somebody that, or it's a position they're probably going to look at addressing, um, either in the draft or they're going to have to uh to go into free agency and, and find a guy like right now they have um last year's udfa connor galvin and he is the, he is their current ot3 and he was on the practice squad last year so uh expect a move or two uh certainly and the other half of the question here is uh is connor mcgovern and i always laugh when i hear his name because i, I believe it was last offseason that there was a, an erroneous report that that Connor McGovern had signed with the Lions. Um, someone just got the the team name wrong. Um, it also makes me laugh because there are two guards named Connor McGovern in the NFL: one on the Jets, one on the Bills. But this one's got about the one on the Bills. Um, to be clear, he is still under contract with the Bills for two more years. He signed a pretty hefty deal with them last year, a three-year, twenty-two and change million dollar deal. So it would be a little bit costly for them to to, to part ways with him, but they can make it happen. Um, I'm not sure if they have any interest in trading him. But I guess I guess this maybe speaks to the longer the larger point here is like, is guard something that this team wants to invest in pretty significantly outside of maybe Jonah Jackson? Is are, are they looking beyond Jonah Jackson right now at that left guard spot? Are they looking beyond Graham Glasgow? I mean, played really, really well, could probably definitely wants to still be here, could be had at a relatively cheap price, but also not a long term solution there. So whether it's Connor McGovern or the draft or anyone else that you guys have your eye on, do you think this is a, a year in which the Lions invest pretty heavily at the guard position? We'll go to Ryan first. Yeah, it seems like they have to, right? Like they just have holes and they they need to get those um, shored up. And it just strikes me that this team and the way that they reward the players that are in-house, we've seen it time and time before, right? We've seen it with Charles Harris. We've seen it with Romeo Aquara. Um, we've seen it with a number of players that the Lions are just loyal to. Um, now, I, I think this is probably the biggest test of how loyal are you when it comes to a guy who, you know, paid, you know, played his way into a, a significant pay bump, and, and that's Jonah, right? Like Jonah, for the most part, really good. Um, had kind of like a slide uh, this season, whether that you know was due to, to you know not being a hundred percent or or what it is, you know, just because he missed time uh, with injuries and, and so on. But, like, you know, for the most part, has been a really reliable, dependable starter for Detroit. So, like, to me, Eric, this feels like Brad Holmes' first opportunity to prove to us that he's not loyal to a fault. Um, because, you know, the Charles Harris contract was was pretty low stakes. Um, you know, keep, keeping Romeo and, you know, both those guys were, were restructured contracts. So, like... Um, I, I don't know. Like it, to me, this is kind of like one of the more interesting subplots of the off season because this is the Lions' strength. This is what they hang their hat on. Their offensive line is their is their superpower, so to speak. So um, I don't know. Do you get a sense, Eric, that Jonah is in the plans moving forward, or is this something that 
as early as pick 29 could be a, a Detroit Lions need. Yeah, I certainly think they have to come away with a re-sign on either Glasgow or Jonah. And ideally, they would get both guys back. But I, I'm, I'm with you with the, in the fact that cost is going to be the most, uh, you know, he's going to be the biggest hurdle as, as far as getting Jonah back. Because I think if Jonah hits the market, we're talking like double-digit millions of dollars. And I don't know how ideal that is for Detroit with other contracts uh, looming over their heads, plus uh, a bit of an injury history here with Jonah over the last two seasons. Granted, the season before that, he was he was a pro bowler. So, you know, you know the talents there. But is is that enough for the Lions to justify spending 10, 11 million on him uh, on him per year? That that's the big question. Um, so you're, you're probably going in by looking at those two guys first. And then after that, you're probably looking at the draft, in my opinion. Now, you could go to free agency and try and fill a guy with Jonah, like Jonah in free agency. But at the same time, I don't I can't see them paying someone else Jonah Jackson money if you're not just going to pay Jonah Jackson that money. So if they go to free agency, you're probably downgrading that left guard position, which is not ideal. Because like Brian just said, the strength of their team is the offensive line and they, they move and they find their success on offense with that offensive line. And so I don't think they're going to want to cheap out on it. So can they get Jonah under a contract that appeases both sides? That's going to be one of the most important questions of the offseason. I do think that if they bring Graham back. I think, like Jeremy said, it's probably going to be relatively easy because both sides want to get it done. Lions will probably give them a little bump in pay. But if they do have to replace one of them, I do think pick 29 is definitely in play for a uh, an interior offensive lineman. Or maybe, like we talked about with the first half of this question, a tackle guard combo type guy because there's a few of those uh, in this class as well. And I wouldn't rule out an early pick. I wouldn't rule out with any of their first four picks because they're all in the top 100. And this is a pretty good class if you need an offensive lineman. So I wouldn't be surprised to see them turn to the draft if they need to replace Jonah as opposed to maybe going to another team. May I chime in once? Sure. How about a one-year flyer on one of the older guys that's up, like Zeitler, the lead, Seattle, on uh, the San Francisco guard, or Van Rotten out of the Raiders? It's, I mean, it's possible, but I, I guess my problem with something like that is, is it's, it's a Band-Aid over a, a, a longer-term need. I mean, and, and you have those options, right? You have it, at least in, in Graham, you have that option on the right side. You, you could, you know, if you don't love this class, which, like Eric said, it, it, most people seem to think this is a good class in the draft, um, you, you could get that Band-Aid. And, and listen, like, you probably want to go into the draft with at least some sort of playable person at left guard if you're not going to sign Jonah. So could they throw a veteran a, a one- or two-year deal? Yes, but they shouldn't, like, they shouldn't, like, you know, wipe their hands clean and be like, all right, problem solved, like, this guard position is a long-term issue and usually that means addressing it in the draft. So, you know, I, I could definitely see that happen because uh, like I always say, Ryan and Eric, like the agency is to make sure that you do not have any pressing needs going into the draft. The lines can't go into the draft if they don't sign Reed, Reed Jonah, you know, unless they think Sorstel is ready. 
they can't. I, I don't think they can go into the draft with just like an empty void at that position. Yeah, totally. I, I, I don't. I don't think that what we saw last year from either you know Awashika or from Sorosdol makes me think that they would go into the draft without some sort of contingency plan. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, was Zettler specifically? Was Zettler, Zettler specifically? He is. Um, he's still playing at a high level, and he is age thirty-four. But he's still going to cost some money. Um, if you're looking for a one-year flyer, you might be looking at a guy like Dalton Risner, who's going to cost a little bit less. But at the same time, you're now putting two band aids on both guard positions. So, I was I was a proponent of taking a an interior lineman as early as the first round last year. And now with the needs uh, presently in front of them, I definitely think offensive line is going to be in play at every pick, no matter what they do in the, in the off season. All right. Uh, thanks for the question, Michael. That was a, a great discussion to kick things off. Um, let's move on to our next caller here. One second. Boop. Uh, all right. Dan Pask waiting patiently. Dan, buddy, how's it going? Uh, it's good. It's good. Can you hear me all right? Yes, sir. Awesome. Um, I just wanted to say, firstly, thank you for braving uh, my show last year. I, uh, <laughs> I had so many <laughs> technical course. difficulties. Thank you to everyone who came on and everything else. But I wanted to say thank you to each of you. I wanted to. Uh, I watched your midweek ma- uh, midweek main show. I know it's not the name, Jeremy. I'm still going to call it that. Uh, the midweek main show, and I you nailed just loved- it. You nailed it. <laughs> I love the definite <laughs> article bit in the the break, and uh, it also I, I got reached out to for a question. So I'm actually going to ask Lucas's question, who's a uh, silver rush, and I think it's inter- it maybe a question that you you know your youngest daughter asked you, Eric, or maybe Teddy later on as well. And 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 he's going into his senior year this fall, and and, and just to share, I earned sixty two dollars doing that Twitch, and that was including a six month subscription from Ash Soda, who just rocks. Thank you, Ash. But you nice. know what I mean? He uh, wanted I wanted to see what you guys thought for for we have such a wide range of age that's why i mentioned them uh, that definite article we've got kids in their teens me in my 50s i don't know how old you are eric but i think you're my peer uh, but you know what i mean <laughs> sorry i'm just whatever i'm gonna keep going what what advice what kind of degree what kind of things do you uh, think that folks should look for going to college if they're interested in going to the nfl in some form or function whether it's scouting or reporting or you know front office you know that kind of thing not necessarily the sports side but like you know what degrees are helpful for folks going into the nfl and i have a second question which i'll ask right now which i think i would know the answer to can you add mock drafts to the wheel of pain so they actually are pain <laughs> um maybe dan i only have like three or four left to uh to cash in on our on our twitch page but this is a re- really interesting question um eric um because uh, we're not exactly the the greatest examples of going into sports in college and getting a degree or getting a, a job in sports. We both kind of went very different routes with the education. We both kind of were in the educational field before we got to where we were. Um, and, and I think a lot of stories sometimes are just like happenstance. Like it's not necessarily you went into, you know, sports management or, or whatever degrees are, are available. But I don't know. Do you, do you, I don't know if I have any particular insight into how to get into scouting. Um, do, do you have kind of a, a, an idea there? I mean, not really, because I, there's there's going to be college courses that you can take that, um, I guess, align with um, some college or w- with some like coaching aspects, um, you know, like kinesiology and stuff like that. Right. But like 
there's sports management programs nowadays. There's all kinds of different, like, um, depending on what style of like coaching you might want to get into, or if it's maybe scouting, like it's, there's a, there's a wide variety of different like paths that uh, will depend on which university you're at. Uh, for example, Brad Holmes got into scouting with a PR degree, right? Like he was a PR intern and then just got, if you've ever listened to his story, like he got in kind of an, an unconventional way as well. So as far as like media, again, it's, you know, your journalism, if you want to be in the journalism side, then you, their journalism degrees are your best path. But again, there's the way that media is changing nowadays. There's not, you know, anything that's really limiting, you know, a, a different path, right? Like both, like you mentioned, both of us got into this route very differently than uh, I think most of the colleagues that we work with. And so you'd have to like, the best thing you'd have to do is talk to like the different counselors at the universities and stuff like that and be like, Hey, this is what I'm interested in. And then they'd be, they'd have a more, you know, familiar path for a, uh, for a soon to be college student on, on what they might want to do. But nowadays you can get your degree in one thing and, and have a completely different, different job a decade later. I, so I, I wanted to look a little bit into this right now and I see that the lions have a bunch of job listings available. And I was curious as to what they're requiring in terms of degrees and things like that. And so you mm -hmm. mentioned, you mentioned that Brad Holmes started in PR. I think there's an even more recent example, our, our good friend Liz, who also yeah. started out as a, as a PR intern and is now like, right. We always see her right alongside Brad Holmes. Yeah. She's um, assistant to the uh, assistant, essentially, Brad, essentially assistant to Brad Holmes. Like she does a whole bunch of stuff for him. Yeah. And so I'm just looking at their, their qualifications requirements. A recent graduate with a degree in sports management, marketing, business, communications, or hospitality preferred. So again, yeah, the sports management thing. But I think I think the the key is if you want to be scouter, if you want to be uh, a management, whatever you want to be in, like you get your foot in the door and, and probably get one of those degrees that the aforementioned degrees and then just like be social, be kind, do everything you can to the, to the 10th, 10th degree and, and reach out and just like communicate with people, um, tell them your wants and needs say, Hey, I, I know I'm, I'm here right now. This is what I aim to be. So if there's any way you can have me talk to this person or just meet with this person for five minutes to, to pick their ear, like it's always about just kind of reaching out, pushing your limits. I mean, the reason I got to where I was in pride of Detroit is when I started writing in the fan post section and then people started liking it. And then when Sean Ewell, the guy who started the site was like, Hey, do you want to write on the front page? I'm like, yes. And now I'm going to write even more. Now I want to do this on it. Like I, I kept like push the bar that the way I put it is once you get in the foot, once you get your foot in the door, you, you kick it down, right? You, you expand on everything that you want to do. And that sort of initiative gets noticed. Yeah, it's the Panay Sewell approach. Now you got that's your right. foot in the door, you kick this MF or down, right? right? Like that's that's essentially what you have to do. Um, I, I mean, it's the same thing. I, I started it out as a hobby as well, and I right. I my wife recommended me starting to to start writing so that I didn't go insane by just taking care of my children, and that was my <laughs> only purpose, right? And right. so and so then that you know evolves, and you get an opportunity, and you just you kick it down, but like, it's, it's tough to get the opportunities and it is a ton of work that is often unrewarding. 
uh, at, at the beginning. And the, uh, the hard part is, is you just put your nose down and you keep going and you try and do what you can. And have it's, it's you build contacts, you try and talk to people, you ask some questions, you know, you, you do like what Dan's doing. You, you ask and say, Hey, who can help me with this? And, and eventually you get in contact with someone and you produce material that is unique and different. And you just, you, you just keep pushing and that's, it's, it's not easy. It's not easy. Yeah. Uh, but you can find ways. Uh, you just have to take take advantage of every opportunity that's in front of you. The I, I've I've got one more thing I want to say, but I want to bring Ryan in in case he's got to say anything in in terms of his perception of of the business. Oh, right. go ahead. Say okay. Thing. Yeah. the The only th- the other thing I would say is just in general, if you can't if you can't seem to find the outlet, you're not getting any of these jobs. Don't be afraid to self publish. There are plenty of opportunities, plenty of websites, resources where you can show off your own skills and try to build a following on social media, build a, you know, go in fan post sections, go in, build, you know, make your own WordPress, whatever, whatever you want. Just put content out there because even if no one's reading it, you're building up that skill um, in, in whatever you want. And then the, the other thing I was going to say, too, is like if you can get yourself a credential at the Senior Bowl, that is the ultimate like resource connecting you know, talk to people in the business. Um, and it's not hard. <laughs> like they give out credentials to anyone. So if you have a website, you might be able to get into the senior bowl. And and that's, you, I mean, you can talk to scouts, you can talk to other um, writers, draft people, and that'll get you a, a nice little leg up, I think, in terms of just building that connection, that web of, of resources for you. Awesome. Thanks so much. Go ahead, Ryan. Sorry, mate. Oh, no. No, you're good, Dan. Um, the, the only other thing I was going to suggest is, um, is is to piggyback on what Jeremy said in, in self-publishing. But, like, uh, I think back to, like, when I first wanted to, like, start writing. And <laughs> embarrassingly enough, like, it was doing – like, when, when I was in high school or probably, like, middle school, like, I was writing, like, journals for, like, the franchises I was playing in Madden. <laughs> like that, like that's like where I think a lot of my like wanting to write about sports started, but like, mm-hmm. and I know that starts out pretty early and, and things like that, but that more so to like Jeremy's point of like, who cares? Like, you know, in, in the beginning processes of it, right. Like just, you know, I don't know, training that muscle and like getting so many reps with writing and, and being open to writing about anything. Right. Cause like, even when yeah. I started with pride of Detroit, Jeremy was like, well, we need somebody to write daily fantasy articles for FanDuel. And I was like, ah, shoot, I'll try it. Like, I don't know. Like, I, I gamble, <laughs> you know. But it, it was one of those things where it's like I, just being open and, and being, um, you know, uh, ready to, to kind of just take on any challenge and try to kind of like make it your own thing. So, yeah, that would that, be my advice. That's a really good. And I was going to say something similar to that. Like, just don't say no to any sort of – like, it might not be exactly one you want to do right away, but dear God, don't say no to it. Sure, you know? yeah. I I agree with Ryan. I was gonna say the practice, like just the practice of to to try and write is is can be huge. Um, because I used to write little newsletters for like a couple of my buddies, and that's like I, I was just like, hey, this is where they are. This is what they're doing, and it was because I was I was interested in myself, and then I knew they were interested, and so then 
I started getting practicing by writing, by just writing things that interested me. And, you know, it's important to just get that practice down. And then if you start expanding that and you start getting like a website, have the com- have confidence in what you say. At the same time, it's you, you want to make sure that you're not coming off as arrogant or, or, or thinking you know all the answers as well. Like it's, it's a tough balance because you have to slowly build yourself up to become, you know, respectable at this, and you need to sound confident and you have to own your takes at the same time. You don't want to come off as like, too brash or, or, or arrogant because that can set you back. And, and so it's a hard balance, but you have to like, you have to just practice and practice and practice. I don't know if I got enough answer. Keep talking. No, thank you very much. Uh, thanks so much for everything last year. Looking forward to this one. All right, Dan. Appreciate it, buddy. Um, since we went super long on both those topics, I think we'll take a break here when we come back. More of your live questions here on Twitter Spaces, X Spaces, whatever you want. Join us Saturday mornings. We're going to have a good time this off season. We'll be right back. Vacations can be tricky. You already know how to book flights and hotels, but now the only thing you're missing is, you know, the actual travel experience. Because is it really a vacation if you're just sitting around like you would at home? You need a tool to get the most out of your time away. That's where Viator steps in. You can book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. And we are back here on our live call-in show here on Twitter Spaces. Uh, Let's get right back into our callers. Uh, Next up is jonah oh oh, i got the wrong person but we're gonna do jonah next sorry maxwell we'll bring you on next jonah thanks for joining the show yeah of course guys um big lions fan obviously like everyone here very curious after the the guard segment what what is your guys prediction for the defensive line and the secondary if you had to pick four players to start on the d line next year and four players to start in the secondary who who would those folks be Ooh, this is this is a juicy question. We gotta we gotta formulate our own blueprint here 
for the Lions defense. Um, this is a tough one to come, on, come up with on the spot, so uh, I'll, I'll try to stall a little bit here to, to let you guys think about it. But yeah, I mean, so let's let's start with who, guys that are almost certainly going to start next year yeah. um, that are that are already on the team. So you got Aiden Hutchinson, you got Aleem McNeil. Um, that might be it. On the that might front. be it. <laughs> Maybe Josh Pascal. Well, no, yeah. I mean, you're probably. Depending on how they want to run their front, yeah, I think you could pencil Pascal in as the guy for right now, for sure. Yeah. And then in the secondary, you got Brian Branch. Cam Sutton is going to start, um, whether you guys like it or not. Um, Kirby no. Iffy. Kirby we Iffy? We can't, we can't be turning Cam Sutton into Will Harris. Like <laughs> It's that. one one bad year where he's surrounded by a bunch of news guys and not great guys. So Yeah. So, okay, so that leaves us with probably, I mean, one or two spots on the off, on the defensive line and one spot in the secondary. Yeah, you have one clear spot of need in the secondary, and that's outside corner. And, yes, yeah. you can bring in competition to, to challenge guys like you did with Branch last year that, you know, that led to a domino effect of – of their uh, safeties, you know, right? Yep. Branch comes in, kicks CJ out of the nickel, nickel, CJ kicks Tracy out of the safety, and then if he kicks Tracy out of the safety a second time. And so, but you really have one clear spot at outside corner, and then you don't really have a defensive tackle, and you could potentially add an edge because you're trying to upgrade. So you have edge, defensive tackle. Like you could add a, you could try and upgrade an edge, defensive tackle, there's no clear starter. Outside corner, there's no clear starter. So that gets, that's where it gets challenging, right? Because you don't know how they're going to address each of those. Like they could go into the draft and they could go pick one as outside corner, pick two as defensive tackle, and those guys might end up being the starters, right? Or, But like you said earlier in the first segment, Jeremy, they're probably they're, – I would be surprised if they didn't have all of those needs filled before they entered the draft, right? So – the chances are, if they're going to fill these spots, they're going to address them first in free agency and then use the, the draft to try and upgrade some of these spots. All right. Well, let's let's start naming names. Ryan, are, are you prepared to throw out a name or two that, that you want? Sure. Yeah. I mean, like, I, I think what's most interesting about this discussion along the defensive line is it, it's kind of like sch- schematic, right? Like, do they want somebody next to a lean who is a pocket pusher like do they want a pass rusher there or do they want a guy like tyson alu alu or do they want uh, an isaiah bugs we're like yeah it's nice that they have a little bit of push but they're also like run defenders first and foremost like it seems like that's obviously part of what's baked into their identity on defense it's like we're gonna stop the run okay so like if that's the prerequisite um it, it, it becomes interesting too, because when it comes to the other side of Aiden Hutchinson, like, are we talking about like more of like a Sam guy? Are we talking about like, could the lions be splashy and go for somebody like Brian Burns or like, would they be interested at all in Daniel Hunter? If they were looking for somebody a little bit different, like I, I, I think that's an interesting discussion to be had, but those names that I'm tossing out are like big fish. And I know you guys had talked about whether or not, you know, the lions could do something splashy in free agency, it seems like, it seems like this might be the year to do it just because of what's, what's to come and, and, and the extensions that, that might be happening. But 
it, it also seems kind of far-fetched. Like it, it seems very against what Brad Holmes modus operandi is, which is, Hey, like so far his biggest splash is Cam Sutton, you know? So if that is the, if that's the thinking process, then when it comes to corner, like, yeah, we have examples of him either taking risks on, on one-year deals with, you know, CJ and, uh, with Emmanuel Mosley or getting a little bit splashy with Cam Sutton. Um, it seems like they're more willing to devote resources towards their defensive backfield uh, in free agency than they are necessarily along the defensive line. I'm with you. And I think if you look at like, um, if you look like way back into history and you start looking at like what, how like the Rams addressed different free agency uh, or different free agents. Like when Brad Holmes was there, they tended, they would often tend to um, go after free agents in the secondary where they could get guys that were like more plug and play. And then they would draft guys that they can bring develop slowly and bring them along. But they, they didn't, it was very rare that they looked at a corner that they would, were drafting to start immediately and I think the Lions have kind of followed that suit under Brad Holmes uh, as well, where the guys that they've drafted in, in the secondary, they've drafted with the expectation they're probably going to sit a while. And then they, you know, it just so happens to be that Brian Branch is just so tremendous that he earned a starting job. But I don't think he was originally projected to be anything more than just a contributor at first. And so if they do address, you know, uh, I expect them to address corner and free agency. Now, depending on what they're looking to do, like our, if they're looking to also add a high draft pick, you may look at a guy like Stephen Gilmore or, or Stefan Gilmore, um, the brother of Stephen Gilmore, that as a as like a aging veteran corner who could hold down the fort while you develop a guy. You could also, but if they're not looking to draft like a corner early because maybe they're not in love with the the corner class, then they may end up spending money on like a Jalen Johnson or something like that. And then with the defensive line, it's, 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 again, it's how are you, how do you want to use a Lee McNeil uh, at the beginning of the season? They used a Lee at the three. And so they wanted a big body at, at the nose. And that's why they went with um, Benito Jones. But then as the season progressed, they needed more pass rush from the nose and they shifted a lean back to the nose and they used uh, Tyson Alualu at, at the three technique. So where are they going to settle on a lean? And then when they do, that could, that could very much uh, dictate the type of defensive tackle that they might be looking for. Because if they want to, uh, if they want to go back to a lean at the three, a guy like DJ reader would be an excellent nose tackle. But again, you're probably, you may have to pay a little bit for him. And if you want to keep a lean at the, at the nose, well, then you might look at a guy like Sheldon Rankins, who you know uh, is familiar with Aaron Glenn and Dan Campbell from their days with the Saints, who's and he's more of like a three technique, also giving you the option to go after a three technique in in the uh, in the draft, which there seems to be a little bit more. So we really don't know because they've changed their defense so many times just during the last season. It's hard to exactly say what type of player are because they could really go either route because they have so much flexibility with some of their guys. So I don't think there's a clean answer to this. And I think, again, that's purposeful because it leaves their options open on how to address these things. 
Yeah, I don't know if I have any other names. I have one more name to throw out, and it, this is very much in the category of Band-Aid over a, a position. But like Shelby Harris, to me, is a guy that that is kind of a nice balance of a pass rusher and run defender. He's graded out as a, a plus run defender his his entire, what, 10-year career. Um, thirty three. He'll be 33 when the, the season starts, so you're probably signing him to a one-year deal. But you have a lot of young guys on that defensive line almost exclusively young guys on that defensive line. And, you know, maybe it could use a, a Michael Brockers type that will give you better play that, than Michael Brockers and won't be on a, you know, three or whatever million dollar deal that the Brockers was on. But, but yeah, I think they're just, to me that the trickiest part is, and I think we've talked about this before, Eric, if, if they're going to add a corner in free agency, they kind of have to go big or go home um, because there's, I don't know if you really want to find yourself in a situation where you have two number twos again, um, if that. And and that means making a big splash on a Jalen J- Johnson type of player. And I just don't know if Brad Holmes has it in him. I don't know if that's the way that Brad Holmes wants to build this team. I, I tend to believe him at his word when he says, I don't know if this team needs to get the big external signings. I don't think that's where we are in our uh, and our rebuild, I, I mean, not even a rebuild at this point, but I don't think that's where we are in terms of what we want to do. I don't know if they'll ever get to, to that point because I, th- what he keeps saying is we need to keep this thing in the air. We're not looking to make a run. We are looking to continue to make runs and not saying that signing Jalen Johnson means you can't make a deep run, but it certainly makes it harder, especially when you have all these big contracts you're going to hand out. I think part of the reason maybe Jonah Jackson hasn't been done is because they know they can only have a certain amount of fifteen plus million dollar deals on their on their books, right? They're about to have Panay on there. They're about to have Amon Ra on there. They're about to have Goff on there. They already have. Uh, I think Decker's already up there. Ragnow's already up there. Like when we were, you know, a, a good kind of encapsulation of just the the tricky space that they're in right now, at least in terms of cap spaces. You think about their offense right now and how many of those guys are you know, top five at their position. You can make an argument for golf. You could certainly make an argument for Frank. You can make an argument for Panay. You can make an argument for Laporta. You can make an argument for either running backs. Like they have so much talent on that offense that it's unsustainable that they just aren't. Say, I'm, I'm, yeah, Ryan, he left I'm sorry. I'm off. sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> I missed Tom on And, but like, that's, that's the point, right? Is, is that there's seven guys maybe on offense out of 11 that are like, elite at their position. And so naturally you're either going to have to let one of those guys walk at some point, or you're going to have to take some concessions on the defensive side of the ball. And given the way that the NFL works today, I think the lines are going to be happy to make some concessions on defense. Um, They obviously don't want to make a ton (laughs) because they still want to have a good defense, but that's the balance of, of work in the books. And I think you just rather have a stronger offense than defense. One last name that I can throw out, Jeremy. DJ Reader is a free agent. I'm just saying. Yeah, Eric brought him up. My ears perked up when he said his name. Yeah, yeah. But, I mean, when did when was I banging the table for him? Like three years ago? Uh, it was, I think it was during the Patricia era. That feels it like it probably was. It feels forever ago, basically, yeah. is what I'm saying. All right. Uh, hopefully that that somewhat answered your question, Jonah. Uh, Jonah but uh, appreciate the the question, man. All right. Uh, sorry, Maxwell. I didn't mean to skip over you. We got you now. Uh, there we go. Welcome, Max. 
Hey, Jeremy, you actually led perfectly into my question. Great. <laughs> um, I'd like uh, to do that. Yes, of course. Um, going back to the NFC Championship, the uh, media week going up to it, Goff had all of the questions about, hey, the Niners have superstars, you guys have some guys. Um, going into 2025, do we feel like we could make a definitive statement that we have the most offensive talent in the NFC? I don't know if I'm going crazy because we haven't had football in a week and a half and I'm just being comfortable being uncomfortable, but what are your guys' thoughts on that? Oh man. Uh, good question. And, and yeah, like I said, I was literally, you know, we, we have offensive player of the year going up on our, on our website, the, our, our award for, it, and I, the, I like, I couldn't keep less than, than seven off the pole because Jared Goff, I think both running backs deserve plenty of praise. Amon Ra, Laporta, Ragnow, Panay, and, and that's even maybe doing a little bit of a disservice to, to Graham, Jonah, and Decker. But yeah, I mean, here's that. I think a lot of people define like offensive talent by your wide receiver core. And so I think that's maybe the one argument to maybe why the Lions aren't the top NFC team in terms of offensive talent, because you have really one proven guy that's that I would call a a top 10 receiver for sure. I know top five seems to be the, the fun argument that we like to have here. But would I call Josh Reynolds or Jamison Williams a a top 20, a top 30 receiver? Probably not. So I, I don't know if that keep, I, it really shouldn't keep them out of this conversation that the fact that their wide receiving core is average, maybe. But I don't know. I think, I think it might on a national level. I'm curious as to what you guys think. I think you look at other top teams, right? And Philadelphia comes to mind, right? Because you say pass catchers, you say wide receivers, and that's AJ Brown, that's Devonta Smith. Um, but like, what are they doing at running back, right? Like, it, it it seems like they're in flux. There, their offensive line is aging a little bit. You know, Jason Kelsey's out now uh, with retirement. The Forty ers are probably. I mean, they're still probably the cream of the crop. Right when it comes to you know McCaffrey and Kittle and Trent Williams still playing at a high level and I, I don't know but you know Ayuk is he going to come back? Um, you know, Debo is you know he, he seems to be kind of hit or miss sometimes. Like there there isn't a ton of consistency there. I don't know how much of that has to do with quarterback play, um, but we I mean uh, sorry I didn't want to sound too much like Chris. Um, I thought Brock Purdy had a pretty good Super Bowl. But um, I don't like everybody else. Seems like it seems like the Lions have the most established offensive talent at this point when it comes to their versatility. Like I feel like you have to like Laporta being a top five guy. Yeah, he's not a wide receiver, but he's quite clearly like one of the top five pass catchers at his position. Um, and, and I think you know beyond that, like okay, Minnesota has Justin Jefferson, but Jordan Addison had flashes, but we, I, I feel like I need to see more of it. Um, maybe the Rams, but are we going to, are we going to get a, another good year with Rams running backs or is it going to be one of their down years? Um, is Cooper cup healthy? I, I don't know the, the Falcons, right? They have a bunch of promise. They have Drake London and they have Kyle Pitts and Bijan, but what quarterback do they have? Right? Like it seems like the lions have a base, I'll be interested to see what they do to add to it though this year. Like, will they add a wide receiver? I I don't know. Like the, Eric, you have to assume that they want to put more on Jameson's plate, but at the same mm-hmm. time, 
you know, Josh Reynolds is a free agent. You know, Cleef Raymond seems like good in a, you know, in a spot duty role. Do you want somebody more established and more reliable in that Josh Reynolds role? Yeah, I don't think there's like one way to, to, you know, build an offense, right, in the NFL. And I, and so that's what makes comparing them uh, so challenging, right? Because in my opinion, I, I think San Fran is, probably has the most complete offense because, they have one of the top five running backs in the league. They have one of the top five tight ends in the league. They have a a wide receiver core that is going to be in the in the top half at their positions, right? Um, with and so you've got Trent Williams and, and and as as you know along those lines. And so like they just they're they're just they have elite talent at multiple spots. And then depth. And for Detroit, I think they have elite talent at multiple spots, but the depth isn't quite there. And the one spot um, that you that you guys have pointed out is they don't quite have the, the wide receiver depth that some of these other top offenses do, right? Now, like, they're not going to be like Miami, who has two elite wide receivers, or right? But Miami doesn't have the depth in other areas or the elite players in other areas like Detroit does. And so if you're comparing the teams that are, I think like the closest way of building an offense, similarly to Detroit, I think San Fran is really the marker to, to pay attention to. And it's just a depth thing, right? Like, cause I, I think Detroit is right there with them as arguably, I mean, they were number one in the DVOA if I, if I recall correctly, right? It's all on offense, right? San Fran, right? 49ers. Yep. Lions yeah. And so, and so, yeah, and so the the nine. And what's the big difference is the Niners just have more depth. They could get an injury and they could roll with it. And so, how does the Lions catch up? They just add. They just have to take more off seasons. Remember, the Niners have been going with this regime that they have for multiple years, and they've had years to, to add this layers and layers and layers of good drafting to add the depth. Lions just need a little bit more time and and they could easily be at number one. I'm going to, I'm going to take this question from the opposite angle because I think, I think 49ers versus Lions is a, is a solid debate. My question is, is there anyone knocking on the door behind them? And if you look at DVOA, the Lions were fifth. You want to guess who was sixth? It's green Bay, right? It is green Bay. Yeah. Because they got a, and they got a really young core of yep. off on offense. Right. And their their roster is really, really interesting, not only just because it's young, but like it, it seems like there's potential talent at every position, right? You got Luke Musgrave, who was having a really good year before he had that injury. Um, I mean, Gene Reed also looked kind of phenomenal. Christian Watson took a big step back, but like Dontavian Wicks looked pretty good. Romeo Dobbs came up in big moments. And then obviously you have Aaron Jones and Jordan Love, who's looking better and better as time goes on. And that offensive line, it, it doesn't the bodies don't even seem to matter at this point. It's just like it's a reliable unit no matter how you throw out there. So they're they're a team that is on the rise, um, offensively speaking, and really all around. So they're gonna be part of this conversation then and then I think the the Rams were next, technically, unless we already talked about him. And then the Cowboys, do they do they deserve part of this conversation? Obviously CeeDee Lamb is is a superstar. Brandon Cooks isn't bad, but Maybe they're kind of suffering from maybe the same things that the Lions are, that they, there just isn't a ton of depth behind the guys that they have. But they got a couple superstars there and, and a quarterback who's pretty darn good. So 
I, I think I think right now San Francisco and Detroit are in, in the class of their own, but I think I think the Packers are really right behind them. Yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I, I think the one other team I, I would maybe toss in that potential area are the Seahawks. Mm. Like they have Kenneth Walker and they have Zach Charbonnet. So like maybe they have something percolating there if, if things go right with maybe some offensive line personnel decisions. But then they, you know, DK Metcalf, Jackson Smith and Jigba, like, I mean, they they have some players on offense, right? Like, I mean, we, we, we saw the, the Seahawks come in to Ford Field and hang, you know, what, 37 points? Like, yeah, like I, I think they have, they have some pretty good talent on offense. They got some dudes, just guys being dudes. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's what you want on offense. <laughs> Guys being dudes scoring right. points. <laughs> All right, uh, Maxwell, appreciate the question, Ben, and appreciate your patience. Oh, sorry. <laughs> you can go in there and say something if you want. No, no, I was just going to say thanks. Appreciate of course, yep. no problem. All right, we're going to fit one more in here before our break. Uh, Tony has been waiting very patiently. Thank you, Tony. Welcome to the show, man. Hey, guys, how you doing? Good, good. Hey, so uh, I'm going to piggyback a little bit off of Dan Pask's question, and I've been meaning to ask this for a while, but didn't think anyone would care, and people still might not care. But with Lance Newmark leaving this week, um, I just thought it was a good time to ask. Like, my question is, who exactly is in charge of evaluating the scouting department? And the obvious answer is the general manager, but Lance Newmark's been here through five general managers, I think. So I think he was here before Millen. So um, I just find it fascinating that every general manager that's come in and said, hey, we'll keep Lance around. And I think there's others on the scouting department that have been here 10, if not 20 years. So I I don't know if you guys have any insight on how that dynamic even works and like, you know, what is exactly being evaluated from a guy like Lance Newmark that's kept him around for 25 plus years. Yeah, no, it's it's a great question, Tony, because that is kind of like an unspoken part of of most teams. And generally speaking, scout scouts tend to last quite a long time in in whatever wherever they land. And I think part of that is just like they're they're developing skills. Part of it is, um, you know, you, you can't shake up too much as a general manager. You can't like excavate everything in one off season because. There needs to be some sort of basis. You need there's obviously work that has been done by the previous regime when you come in that you can't just throw away. Otherwise, you're left with a you know tabula rasa blank slate. Um, but I think a, a lot of it is just these scouts do tireless work, and it's not necessarily when when you know when a player misses, it's not necessarily on the scouting. It could be on the scouting, but sometimes it's just general manager not listening to the right decisions, or you know not listen, you know prioritizing one thing over another, but um, I don't know, Eric, do, do you have more insight in here? Because it is a really interesting question. Like obviously in terms of like evaluating, it usually comes from your direct director of, of college and pro scoutings. But um, yeah, I don't know. Do, do you have insight in, as to why maybe some of these positions are, are longer lasting than others? I don't know if I necessarily have an opinion on, on why they last other than just they get evaluated by each GM based on the players they recommend and based on the um, 
you know, who the, are, you know, are the, how are they evaluating different players? And then if they're doing well, they stick around. And so a guy like Newmark has done well for 30 years almost, right? And that's why he stuck around. He's He's been a guy who's, you know, been credited with identifying lots of guys that are currently starters um, on, on the lines right now. Uh, so that's why they stick around. Um, as far as replacing him, the Lions run a – we've talked about this before. The Lions run a layered system in their front office where they have people who not don't just do the job that is their title, but their, their responsibilities overlap with other people's departments as well, kind of like a check and balance type of system. So – when you look at like guys, if you're just looking at like, you know, you go to the Lions website and you're looking at like who has what job title, the titles are not limited in what their to what their responsibilities are. And so there's all this overlapping that happens so that when a player or a, a person is hired from the front office, they aren't left holding the bag. They have coverage and they have people in place that are familiar with what's going on. They've created brand new positions for different for different staff members solely on the fact of being able to, to create this redundancy so that you have guys that are familiar with what's going on. They lost Dave Sears two years ago. And um, as their director of, uh, of college scouting, who and he took an assistant GM job in Arizona, and the Lions didn't necessarily miss a beat. Right, they ended up promoting from within. Um, Brian Hudspeth came up, and he took that job. Hudspeth was a former uh, scout, and then when he moved up, it created new opportunities for other people, other for, you know scouts that were below him to to jump in and take on more responsibility. So, this layered system is is in place to. Make sure that they're covered so that they're not going into an offseason losing a guy and then being, you know, just, you know, unclear on what to do with with um, Newmark. He had one of the highest level of, uh, of responsibility. So losing him is actually, you know, it's, it's a big deal. Like after Ray Agnew, who's the assistant GM after Ray Agnew, I think Newmark was probably the the next highest level guy because of, of what he oversaw uh and so but they have coverage right they have guys that can that can cover what he was doing uh john dorsey has a kind of influx role right where he can do a lot of different things as a, as a senior executive you have a guy like mike martin who is um who was a role was created just for him three years ago that was not part of the regime, uh, any of the regimes prior. And Mike Martin's a guy who can step in and, and cover on some of those things. And then you've got a guy like Rob Lohman, who's been with the team. Again, I think he's been with the team like 30 years as well. He's been along with as long as Newmark. Lohman's, while his focus has been on the pro so, uh, side of things, it's possible maybe he steps up into Newmark's role. And uh, and But they've, uh, they've got an assistant uh, pro scouting guy who was a former scout um, Keller, I think his name is uh, who they promoted him last year, just in case, you know, they get to help him learn under Lowman. So you have this succession plan all in place all throughout the, the front office. And it's layered with these guys that 
are getting experience. They're promoting from within. And so if they lose an important player in this, in this, in this dynamic, they just, they have ways of promoting these other guys um, within the organization and they've been learning the whole way on how to cover. And so they shouldn't, they shouldn't miss a beat. And then, you know, we'll see how this all plays out, but I have, it's, it's big to lose them at the same time though. They have plans in place to cover these guys. Anything else to add, Ryan? He's good. <laughs> yeah, uh, Eric. Eric pretty much covered it all there. I, I know. The, go ahead, Tony. If you got something. No, no, no. Go ahead. Um, yeah, no. I, I think. I think. Yeah, they more, more, almost more so than the coaching position. I feel like it's it's important to have that kind of um, succession planned in the scouting business because it is just it's an ever changing thing. People are always, you know, firing your, your general managers and, and shifting that sort of stuff. And and just to have that consistency, that comfortable, like standard operating procedure where you have everyone who who's in the building, they know how it works so that when draft day comes, there isn't chaos in, in the war room. You, everyone knows what's expected. Cause that, that to me is the biggest difference from what we have now, from what we've had in the past is just like, Everything seems so regimented. Everyone is so clear with what they want in that war room. We don't have people shouting Brian Calhoun in the back of a room. Um, everyone knows what's <laughs> expected of them. <laughs> uh, and, and, and I think part of the reason you can you have that expectation, you have that calmness, you have that, that structure is because you have these guys that have been with the team for 15 years, for 20 years, for whatever. Um, and they know what's expected of them. Granted, you know, obviously Brad Holmes is new to the room and all that sort of stuff, but um, he, he can see what he likes from from how this front office has been established from the decades in the past and what he doesn't like and, and adjust accordingly. And I think they've obviously done a pretty darn good job of that so far. Yeah. No, fair. I mean, good, good answers. I mean, Bob Quinn thought he was the smartest guy in the room, so I'm surprised he just didn't blow everyone out. But <laughs> right. That's great. Thanks, guys. All right, Tony. Appreciate it, man. And with that, we're going to take our next break. When we come back, we're going to close things out with more of your Lions questions here on our Twitter spaces. We'll be right back. Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. 
Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Closing things out here on Spotify. Not Spotify Live. Oh, I did it. Uh, Twitter spaces. Uh, Almost (laughs) got through the whole show. Uh, But we're here taking live calls every Saturday morning. Join us during the offseason. But let's get to our callers here. Jay-Z has been waiting forever. Jay-Z Fighting, thank you so much for your patience. Uh, Welcome to the show. Andering between breaks. Hey, guys, uh, check into the live show just for the meandering between segments. But yeah, (laughs) set me up a little bit there. Um, 30 plus year Lions fan that's never lived in Michigan. So I definitely appreciate all the local Lions coverage I get nowadays on the internet versus having to tune into national media talking about the Jets and the Giants and then just trying (laughs) to plug the holes on the freaking Lions roster with guys with talent, but don't have that grit. And we all know Brad Holmes wants that grit. So Can you give me like one or two guys in free agency or college, you know, coming up in the draft to keep an eye on that Brad Holmes and Dan Campbell might be targeting? One uh, name I've heard so far that's intrigued me was Evan Brown. Mm. Bring him back. It's it's interesting. Maybe I don't I don't know. I I didn't really check in with how his season did in in Seattle as as the starter uh, at center. but yeah, I mean, I, listen, we were just we've we've talked all show really about the Lions needing some versatility and some depth on on the interior. I mean, you could maybe even argue that Evan could be headed for a, a starting spot. Although I think the Lions might w- want to do a little bit better than that. Um, I think he would make a great backup. The question is, does he want to be a backup at this point in his career now that he's been a starter for a full year? Um, but let's let's go back to the grit thing because I think yeah, I mean that. That has to be, as Dan Campbell said, it's, it's non-negotiable with this team. They need someone that has that kind of attitude. Uh, and so that's something that, yeah, I think when you start looking for fits in free agency, you start looking for fits in the draft, that has to be where you start. And, um, Eric, I know there are a couple of people you've already kind of highlighted in the draft class that, that you think think fit under that category. So yeah. why don't you share a couple of them? Uh, starting with the offensive line, uh, a guy like Jackson Powers Johnson out of Oregon, uh, and and Cooper Beebe out of Kansas State. I think both those guys would be instant starters and uh, would fall into that category of of being that you know having that grit that you need. Uh, Zach Zinter is probably going to fall in that category. The Michigan guard, maybe Christian Haynes as well out of UConn, uh, and then. I think those kind of those are the guys that stick out to me right off the bat. I'm sure there's going to be more added to it. If you're talking edge rushers, uh, Braylon Trice out of Washington basically is like he's like Aiden Hutchinson in his worth ethic and his in 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 his ability to stay on the field. Like he, I think he had more defensive snaps than like any defensive lineman uh, in this class. He uh, also had more pressures than any uh, defensive lineman in this class. And so uh, he's he fits very much into that like work ethic, grind it out, always uh, trying to produce mold uh, from a defensive backs room. Uh, I'm still kind of learning about these guys, but a guy like uh, Ennis Rakestraw is a – uh, one of the best run defenders uh, amongst the secondary class. And so when you have a guy like that, 
you're typically going to have that grit mentality that that correlates with that. I think Cooper DeGene is probably going to end up being uh, in that category as well when we start learning more about him. So of the like first three rounds, like those are the guys that have kind of stood out to me at positions where the Lions might be looking to target. And so that's early. You know, there's going to be a lot more names that we that we uncover uh, as we go through it. But I know those guys um, have definitely had traits that have stood out that would fall into that grit category for me. Ryan, you got any guys that rank high on the grit index either in free agency or in the draft? Uh, free agency. Here's here's another corner name that I'm um, an intrigued by is a uh, former Cowboy and then Cincinnati Bengal Chidobi Uzier. Like he, he's a free agent and uh, he, he's willing to get his nose dirty and, and run defense. That's a guy who I think could maybe fit the the mold of a a Brad Holmes and Dan Campbell guy. Um, and it, his coverage chops are like fine. Like. It does seem like another Cam Sutton-ish kind of situation where, um, you know, was was kind of the number two guy but looked like he could be the number one guy and, and signed a deal in Cincinnati that made him kind of more like a number one-ish guy but maybe didn't quite live up to it. But I, I, I think he would definitely be somebody who could fit the mold here in Detroit. And um, I think that he could, be a, he could be somebody who the Lions could – maybe sign in free agency as one of those contingency plans moving into the draft where they don't feel compelled to, you know, get a corner at, at 29. And I think that's the one pitfall, Jeremy, right? Is I think a lot of people, you know, this is typical of any mock draft season, but especially with the lions picking so far down um, in, in the, in the first round at 29, like it isn't automatically going to be a corner or isn't automatically going to be the best edge rusher, you know, or the, the top corner. And, you know, even, you know, the last draft kind of proved that that's not going to be the case. Like the, the best guy at the top positional need isn't the guy that you should necessarily pencil in for, for the Lions. Yeah, I mean, they, they have to be part of that, like, that top tier. Remember last year's draft, they had, what, like 16 guys or whatever they said were, were first-round talents to them, top-tier guys that they, they felt like they had to get. So um, if, if, you know, a corner – isn't of that group when they're there picking at 29 they're not they're not going to pick him just because he's a corner they've made it pretty clear they don't operate that way um the the only guy i want to add to the list here and i've already talked about him a couple times on the site and on twitter is nick allegretti the the chief's backup guard who started in in joe thuny's place um been a a really solid backup his his entire career he tore his ucl in the super bowl in the second quarter and played every single freaking snap so very much like of the frank ragnow tough guy kind of attitude and and we just again we keep talking about how guard is a a depth need for this team can start in a pinch uh can can be that solid backup that i think the lions have been lacking because i just we mentioned it um, it, it just doesn't seem like the guys that they've thrown out there in the past two years have, have really cut it. And again, like maybe, maybe you, you are confident in Sorsdal and you don't need that position as maybe you need other, but Allegretti to me is like a really solid addition. If they can, if they can find, if they can get him, the question is like, 
why would the Chiefs let him go, given that everything he's given to the organization? But um, yeah, those are our answers, Jay Z. I hope that uh, that answered your question. Well, uh, one more, one more yeah. for you. Uh, great minds think alike, and all thinking about that backup guard spot. What about the dude that was just released from Chicago? I can't remember his name, but Wait I here. believe he was a guard. Yeah, there Cody you Whitehead. go. What do you guys think about Cody Whitehair? Hmm. I don't know. Like I, I remember the the 2016 draft. I remember um, white hair. I mean, that was Bob Quinn's first draft where he took Taylor Decker. Um, and I remember white hair being kind of highly coveted. He was second round pick out of, uh, I believe it was Kansas state. Right. Um, yeah. I, I think the thing with white hair is that he, a lot of, you know, positional versatility, right? Like, I mean, he, he lined up, played right guard, played a lot of center snaps. Then most recently he's been their de facto kind of left guard, but it's just kind of been like a decline in play from, cause I know it is, his rookie season was awesome. And then it's kind of just been not as productive or efficient, I think since then. So it's kind of, it's it's been a bit of a tumble for white hair from because I when he, when he got released it was kind of touted as oh former pro bowler Cody Whitehair is on the market it's like well he was a pro bowler a, a while ago yeah I'm with you I liked him better when he played center um, than when he played guard but he does have that versatility he, he like you said he bounced around all three of those interior spots um, but I agree the decline is there he's going to be 32 coming up um, and sometimes when you hit that age 30 mark in the NFL, some players uh, it's the, it's the beginning of the decline for them. And, and while others can, can push through it, the norm is more of the, in the, dec- in the decline here Avenue. And so, um, yeah, I, I, I do think his best days are past him. Uh, could he be a decent reserve? Uh, yeah, he maybe, but if you're counting on him to start, I don't know if uh, I don't. I don't think you're setting yourself up for success yeah. in that avenue. So, you know, he, he's he's kind of like Graham. You know what I mean? And the fact that he has some of that versatility. At the same time, I'm not running to uh, free agency looking to pick up Bears offensive linemen, especially ones that have been cut. <laughs> <laughs> It, 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 the, the age thing isn't the, the the similarity I want to point out, but it's almost a similar thing with Evan Brown, right? Like I, I think Evan Brown's best play in Detroit was when he stepped in for Frank and played yeah, center. Yeah, he's much better. Center. And then when he moved, when he moved yeah. right, and he moved to right guard, and it was like, oh, you know, Evan Brown's, you know, he's he's upgradable, right? Certainly. And I don't know if you guys remember. Yeah, I don't know if you guys remember this from last year, but he he's posted the only zero point zero pass blocking <laughs> grade Evan Brown did that I've ever seen. Yeah. He 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 um, he, he doesn't guy. quite have the anchor that you need to play yeah. guard in Detroit's scheme, and uh, that's why a guy like I think Colby intrigued them is because he's got mm-hmm. that sand in his pants, right? Like he can he's a guy who's going to develop <laughs> into it, and uh, he's gonna he's got that ability to to you know he's got the strength and the power to be something special. Uh, he's just got to he's just he's got to learn. He's got to develop and, um, you know, maybe a, I, I think he's on the Derek Barnes route, right? Where he's by year three or four, he, he's, you know, he's a guy who's going to challenge. I just don't know if he's necessarily ready and uh, if Colby's going to be ready the, uh, in 2024. 
the the only thing I want to say on on white hair is that can you name a Chicago player on offense that has played above their talent level under this coaching staff? Because um, I can't. <laughs> like it has not been a great set of offensive minds in Chicago for the past I don't know decade. And so if if the raw talent is there, like. I understand like he's he's in the twilight of his career. There's not a ton of untapped potential there, but I think he's better than he's played in the past year or two. Like we were saying some of the similar things, not we, but some people were saying similar things about Graham last year in Denver, right? Yeah, no, it's a, it's a great example, right? Because it's like, oh, what, Denver is really not getting the most out of their offensive right. talent, but Graham has that established relationship, right? Yep. Like, And so I, I would not be like – you shouldn't be saying Cody White here again as like your plan A to start at a guard position. But if he's willing to like, hey, join a fun team where you have one of the best offensive line coaches and, you know, given how injury prone the offensive line position just is in the NFL, you're probably going to get a shot at some point. If, if you can sign him as a backup, like that's that I think I think that's pretty good, honestly. That That's kind of like the next step in the Lions team building, though, right? Like. Yeah because they are a winning culture now and because they've had success, like I think you start to maybe get some guys who, you know, Hey, you want to change the scenery. You want an opportunity to like stick with the roster. Maybe you're going to take a chance on something like Detroit where you're going to go in there in August and Allen park and, and try to win a job. Exactly. We, I mean, they, yeah. and, and yeah. we know the lions coaching staff is, is true to their word when they say like, this is going to be a competition. Like you're going to come here and we're, oh, yeah. we're not going to hand anyone yeah. a spot. All right, Jay-Z, appreciate the question. This is a very offensive line-heavy show, which I I, mean, I love. It's it's what the lines are all about. Um, let's bring in our next caller here. Ryan has been waiting extremely patiently. Ryan, welcome to the show. Make sure you unmute yourself. Hey, guys. Thanks for doing this. Yeah, no problem. Um, do you guys think that the Lions tried to upgrade the Sam linebacker role? or bringing competition. A guy I like in free agency is Andrew Van Ginkle from Miami. Your thoughts? Good question. Um, yeah, because that Sam linebacker role, they really rolled through a lot of a lot of options there. And obviously part of that was because James Houston gets injured. Um, but they tried a lot. And then, the, I don't want to say they got rid of it, but they, they, I mean, they kind of did, right, Eric? Well, they just switched. They started using their off-the-ball guys at right. Sam because they couldn't really – I mean, like, look at the, the Tampa Bay game um, at the at the end. Uh, Derek Barnes was in that Sam role at on the edge when he drops back to get that pick to seal the game. Um, like, that's essentially what they were doing was they were trying to get um, Jack – Derek and Alex all out on the field at the same time. And they didn't really have a good answer at Sam. So they were using off the ball guys. Um, I do think they're going to continue to look for, for a a guy who can maybe be more of a pure Sam. Um, I highlighted Van Ginkle, I think a year ago uh, when I was doing my playoff free agency series uh, that I didn't get to do this year because the lines were in the playoffs. Yay. Um, but, um, <laughs> Van, Ginkle, <laughs> Van Ginkle is a guy who I absolutely think is, um, a guy who could fill that role. The problem is, is Miami loves him. Um, I don't think Miami's going to let him leave. And so, um, 
I think Josh Uche from uh, the Patriots. That's another guy. I think cost goes up with him, which you're not. I'm not necessarily in love with, uh, but he could fill into that role. And then Former there's Wolverine. Not well, surprised. certainly. Um, well, <laughs> <laughs> um, but there's also guys in this draft class that um, are going that are options for that as as well. Now, could you draft a guy early? That could fill that role certainly. You know, there's there's going to be guys right off the top that maybe are going to be there, um, like Chris Braswell from Alabama. Like he's probably going to be there when they, if they stay at 29 to pick. Like they could easily go after him, and he could he would be a very nice marriage with Josh Pascal, where Pascal can be like that you know, big edge that allows Braswell to, you know, play that Sam roll off the edge. And they, if they, when they go into like those five man fronts, they can also kick Pascal inside and then drop Braswell down to the edge when they do like a four man front. And so adding a guy um, like Braswell early would give their defense a lot more range. Um, could James Houston still fill that role? Absolutely. Could they wait until you know later in the draft and, and find a guy like this? Absolutely. And then, like you said, there's some free agency options as well. Van Ginkle is certainly on there. Um, but based on like how they used their defense last year, switching between the the four man front, five man fronts um, against run first offenses, it's certainly a role I think they need to address because they were basically looking for answers all all last year and i'm not sure they ever settled on one that they that they truly liked i I think that's the interesting question jeremy and i know the joke is that we've had james houston on the roster bubble um all all offseason long uh last year but like how much does james houston factor into the plans for 2024 it's it's a great question. And how about, how about CFL's own Matthew Betts? Where does he fit into this conversation? <laughs> Eric, Eric, Eric is a believer. He didn't even mention him on purpose, I think. Who, who are you talking about? I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, no. no. Uh, wow. Uh, let's hope John's not listening. <laughs> but I, 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 guess, I guess the better question, Jeremy, is like how important is it to upgrade that position? Yeah. Because it seemed like the Lions did away with it when – when James Houston wasn't effective, like, you know, like Eric said, like it, it was a failed experiment. I think putting a guy like Jack Campbell at Sam, it's like, that's not what he does. Like, that's not where he's going to exceed, like excel and, and exceed expectations. But like, does it seem like this is a team that their priority should be upgrading that position? It, it's hard for me to say, because I'm still kind of figuring out who, and I know this sounds weird considering he's been here all four years, and, and has a long history is I, I'm not sure who Aaron Glenn wants to be because he's had to adjust so much. I know there's this feeling. Yeah, of, I'm not sure he does. Right, right. There, there's this feeling that, that Aaron Glenn doesn't adjust. And I, I want to just throw that take in the trash because all he really has done is adjust to not having the personnel that he wants. And so when, when you get to third down, I think early on this team was like, let's develop these NASCAR packages where we have four pass rushers out there and get at them. And it worked at times. It didn't work at other times. Last year, what what worked for them is, is not that. Like, they would try it sometimes, but the way they got home was towards the end of the season. They tur- you know they turned their blitz up to 11, cranked up their, their blitz percentage, and, and it worked. And, you you know, if you have a guy like Ifatu Melifanu who – 
has very much learned how to time his blitzes and disguise them, it, yeah. it makes it a lot easier. Brian Branch. Brian Branch as well, yeah. Um, and so, and, and I don't know if anyone saw it, but there was, a, there was an interview at the Super Bowl done by The Athletic, I can't remember the interviewer, with Aiden Hutchinson and Brian Branch together. And they, they said, like, yeah, there was this noticeable shift halfway through the season. And I think Brian Branch said it. He's like, yeah, I think Aaron Glenn realized at that moment, like, that's who he wants to be. Like, at the very core, he is a very aggressive play caller. He, he likes to send the blitz and put the pressure on the offense. And it kind of surprised me to say that because that's not what the lines have been for two and a half years. It was really they, – they cranked it up here at the, the end of last year, and it feels like maybe that's what they're going towards. And if that's what they're going towards, then maybe they don't need – like this elite third down pass rusher, maybe they just need guys at the second level that can do it. And so I don't like, I think if they go into the season and James Houston is their Sam one, maybe I'm not that concerned about it, especially because you have Matthew Betts, like the CFL player. Did I, did I mention that he was the most outstanding defensive player last year? <laughs> is, it, is, this, is it Jeremy or John? Who are we talking to right now? I love the CFL. I've never said otherwise. Yeah, what a maple syrup take that is. <laughs> I don't know. What are you guys' thoughts on, on that? Because, like, to me, it, it is very interesting to see what, like, if, if who is the personnel that Aaron Glenn wants and what kind of a defensive coordinator does he become then? Here's the thing. I don't think he knows. It, we've seen Aaron Glenn as defensive coordinator for, for three years, and he's run six different defenses. Like, it's he has changed his defense pretty dramatically after the bye each of the three years that he's been here. And I think at his core, he wants to be aggressive and he's tried three or, you know, four different ways to be aggressive with the personnel that he has. And he's tried like at the beginning of the season, it was more passive. It was more zone because it fit the personnel, um, but he wasn't getting the results that he wanted. He wasn't getting the pressures that he wanted because they didn't have the talent up front to get pressures with the zone behind it. So they need it. So if he wants to get, if they want to go back to that zone, they've got to find they've got to invest up front where they can get more pressures. If they want to get man, then they've got to focus more on guys that are stopping the run and then invest more in into the the back end, right? So depending on where they want to invest their resources will is going to be dictated by which style of defense that they want to run in. I don't think they know exactly, right? Because you have a lot of guys that can flex and I think they want to be flexible. Let me don't, you know, let me make sure I get that out there is they want to be able to switch between four and five man fronts depending on their opponent and and they have a lot of personnel that fit into that ideology but i don't think they have a clear identity whereas the offense is like they're wildly successful because they know who they are and they execute who they are the defense is the opposite the defense is constantly adjusting and playing from behind and and trying to and and then trying to figure out okay this isn't working now let's make this big move to to see if this works and oh it's not working so now let's shift again and and he's constantly like playing like pickup right he's constantly trying to find ways to adjust and and recalibrate and some of it is personnel uh, some of it is lack of personnel, and some of it is just not having an identity that he wants to roll with, and it it, it makes this off season, you know, hard to predict because they could go so many different ways. You, the defensive tackle spot depends on what you want to do with with McNeil. The edge spot depends on if you're comfortable with Pascal or if you want that extra sand guy or if you don't. 
you know, it, there's so many variations. Uh, the type of defensive back that they might want to go after will depend if they want to be more man or more zone. And I don't think there's a clear indicator for us. And so we just kind of have to keep everything open and everything on the table because the odds are Brad's going to take the best available player and then they're going to adjust their defensive scheme again based on which personnel that they add. All right. I think that's a good place to close that discussion. Ryan, appreciate the question, man. All right. uh, Let's close things out here. Uh, We got one more caller here, and it is Michael. Michael, welcome to the show. I think you're muted. Hello. There you go. Hey, sorry about that. Oh, no okay. Last question. Last question is uh, okay for the uh, late start on getting ready for the draft because we went into the playoffs. My question is for the third round. We have two picks. I really don't know where to start because don't know where we're going to go. So give me some ideas on how who would you look for? Is it best player available for uh, our third rounds? Thank you. Yeah, no problem, Michael. Appreciate the question. It's interesting because, Eric, I think you and I were having this conversation uh, either during the midweek mailbag or in Slack or something. Uh, but I think I think we've pretty much decided that Brad Holmes is almost, almost like to a fault, maybe even just a best player available guy. Doesn't matter when the pick is. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I Because, um, you know, we were talking about how he has thrown – us curveballs and what we've anticipated, right? Like, um, I think I was talking about the fact that I didn't think that they would take Jameer Gibbs because of where I expected him to go was in between spots where they were picking. And so I had almost taken him off my board where I had not considered him an option because of where they were picking and where Gibbs value was perceived to be. And so I, learned a hard lesson there because I was not as prepared for that pick as maybe I should have been because I didn't, I I just didn't think the things need value position, all that stuff lined up to where they would end up with him. And Brad Holmes, you know, proved everyone is on the table for me. I will take every, anybody that is going to make this team better, whether it's at a position where we're already like stacked, like when he took Jack Campbell or if it's just a position where we need a little bit more depth. Everything is on the table. So this year, do I think they're going to take position you know, X? Even if I don't think they're going to take it, I'm still going to study those guys. I'm still going to cover those guys. I'm still going to talk about like how those guys might fit into the roster, even if I don't think the Lions will go that route, because Brad Holmes is unpredictable. He's just going to take the guy that he thinks fits in best. So, you know, logic says, hey, you need an offensive lineman. You tend to find, you can find starting interior offensive linemen in the third round. So maybe they're going to target an offensive lineman in the third round. But with Brad Holmes, I'm not ruling out them taking an offensive lineman at 29 or or even in the second round. Like you have to keep everything on the table. And I think that's what makes him so good at what he does is he can read the board in front of him. He understands the other team's needs. He 
He understands how the other GMs operate, and he knows how to pick and choose where to go. And the chances of him staying at 29, I think, are pretty low. Like we've seen him, you know, move around in order to try and go get the guy or drop back, and, and because the guy's gone that he wants is gone, and and so I think he's completely unpredictable at this point, and uh, we just have to we have to scout everyone and do our best to, to start ruling guys out based on things like, you know, grit and uh, positional need. It, it may not even be a factor anymore. Yeah, for sure. Like we, we can just take quarterback off the board though. Right. It's the only thing we can take off. I'm and, and linebacker. I would hope not edge rushing linebacker, but like off the ball linebacker, I would hope that they don't, aren't going after either one of those positions because they have, they can go, they have at least two deep at all the, at, at those spots. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. Brad Holmes doesn't look at depth charts. <laughs> yeah. He doesn't look at depth charts cause he knows it by heart. <laughs> like I get it. Right. Like I know the depth chart too. I don't stare at the depth chart during the draft just cause you know, no. but I know I, but look, will they take a running back early? Probably not. Will they take a linebacker early? Probably not. Quarterback like in the same boat. But at, but at the same time, I'm not ruling out them taking a, a running back late, right? Like sure. like because because even though you look at like how they use their line their running backs last year, they only used two, and they only used Craig on mainly on special teams, and only when the, one of the other guys was injured. But hey, if you have a chance to upgrade, they're going to upgrade them. Because if the if the right guy is there, they're going to upgrade. Him. Craig Reynolds, fourth and goal specialist. How dare you? Um, <laughs> I love Craig. Everyone loves Craig. He's a, that block he threw was the greatest block by a specialist I've ever, or a special player ever. You know, what, 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 I'm blanking on the name um, by a skill player. Yeah, yeah, like that. It was fantastic. Well, yeah, but well, no, I mean, I think if they can upgrade you, they will. I think, I think day three positional value is completely out the window. You just get players, and and honestly, that's that's what Brad Holmes is all about, right? We, we just went over it. Like it's not about filling a position need. It's it's you have a limited amount of draft capital every year. You are getting young players who are going to be the foundation of your team. You don't know what your roster is going to look like down the road. Guys that you think are starters right now may not be starters next year. I mean, you look at what this team had in terms of expectations for their edge position last year, Charles Harris, Romeo Carr. These guys are going to be foundational pieces in 2023. They're not anymore. And they're probably not going to be on the roster in 2024. So the way that Brad Holmes navigates through all of those unknowns of the future is I'm Joyce. I'm just going to get a talented player, a guy that I know is going to play at a high level at the NFL. And he fits our character needs. Damn. The position doesn't matter because we know he's going to ball out. And it doesn't have to be a guy that's going to ball out now. It right. may be a guy that balls out in three years. Like that's the crazy thing about him is like he he may not be looking at the depth chart in 2024, but he might be looking at the depth chart in 2026. You know right. what I mean? Like because that's how guys like Broderick Martin and Derek Barnes and like in um, Colby Solarsville, that's how they end up on the roster. Right. He's like these are talented guys that can play backup roles and can develop into something – you know, much greater down the road. And so far we've seen that unfold on so many different yeah. guys. And just again, like it's so hard to predict the future with the roster that you have. Like, I mean, even, you know, like Jeff Okuda, uh, uh, Tracy Walker, these guys that, that again, you think are going to be key pieces to your defense. All it takes is one critical injury and suddenly the position 
outlook in the future is completely different. So all that to say is when we're talking about the third round of the draft, I think almost anything is on the table. The only thing I would say is please don't draft a kicker that early. Uh, and and like you said, the other thing I was going to say is you mentioned like what's the chances that the Lions pick at 29. I would agree it, it's kind of low. And if I had to guess which direction he's going to go, he's going to go and make sure he gets his talented player and he's going to go up. And And what would that cost? Probably at least one of those third round picks. That's true. Yeah, that, well, it depends how high. Right? Yeah, but it, do they have ninety four or ninety two? I don't know how math works in the third round. But regardless, they have those four picks in the top one hundred. Yeah, I, I, I have a hard time believing that those picks are all made exactly as they are. Like I feel like Brad's going to do some wheeling and dealing. They have nine uh, seventy three and ninety two in the third as of right now. Yeah, yeah. I, I I think the other thing that might be sneaky in the third round is like. If there's an upgrade for like tight end two, I, I, sure. I wouldn't put that past Brad Holmes. Yeah, we've gotten we we've gone past the the roster building stage where a third round pick is going to be expected to play a, a significant role, like or or start right. Roderick Martin like, and Henry third Hooker. rounders. Well, that's <laughs> what I'm saying, all. right? Like. That's that's the thing. That's and that's where they're at. Like the first round pick is probably going to play a significant role. The second round pick, maybe not. Third round picks are probably role players, unless you're taking a position that's heavily devalued, like interior offensive lineman for whatever reason, right? Like and so like going into this draft and thinking like pick sixty one is going to start, I think is not realistic especially when you look at like this whole idea of filling the roster in uh in free agency which we've talked about now in all three segments right um you fill the roster with these guys you bring in guys to compete there's no guarantee that 61 is uh in a starting pick 61 is in the starting role next year and uh maybe not even pick 29 right like that's the crazy part when you start developing these rosters where you don't have that many holes you have a couple holes but you are drafting guys now for two that can contribute now but are part of your long-term future and not necessarily like taking on starting roles all right and with that, I think it's time to close out the show. Uh, appreciate everybody who joined us live here in Twitter Spaces. We might do a little bit extra overtime for you guys and some of the people that send in text questions. Uh, and always appreciate our listeners on our podcast feed. If you haven't already, make sure you give us a rating on Spotify. Give us a, a, a whole review on Apple Podcasts, if you can, or wherever you're listening. But until next time, for Eric, for Ryan, I'm Jeremy. Thank you all for listening. It's chaos. Be kind. Support for this show comes from Fundrise. Buy low, sell high. It's easy to say, hard to do. For example, high interest rates are crushing the real estate market right now. Demand is dropping and prices are falling, even for many of the best assets. It's no wonder the Fundrise flagship fund plans to go on a buying spree, expanding its billion-dollar real estate portfolio over the next few months. 
You can add the Fundrise Flagship Fund to your portfolio in just minutes and with as little as $10 by visiting Fundrise.com Fox. Carefully consider the investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses of the Fundrise Flagship Fund before investing. This and other information can be found in the fund's prospectus at Fundrise.com flagship. This is a paid advertisement. Plot 3 from Anthropic is your one-stop shop for enterprise AI. With models at every point of the price-performance curve, you no longer have to make trade-offs between intelligence, speed, and cost. Claude 3 Opus sets new industry benchmarks for intelligence. Sonnet strikes the perfect balance between skill and speed. And Haiku is the fastest and lowest-cost model on the market, perfectly designed for high-volume, high-speed use cases. Join the thousands of enterprises who use Anthropic to navigate this new frontier. Visit anthropic.com slash Claude, C-L-A-U-D-E, today. Jumpstart your genius with Claude 3 by Anthropic.